Welcome to the NCJA podcast. This podcast series explores promising practices, provides guidance on strategic planning, and discusses how the Burn Justice Assistance Grant Program, or Burn JAG, contributes to improving justice systems across the country. We hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on the NCJA podcast. My name is Amanda Blasco, and I am a program manager here at the National Criminal Justice Association. Today's episode is a discussion on engaging tribal communities, how and where to start when it comes to engaging tribal communities, what you should consider, and strategies to build trust. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Melody Del Mar and Rosita Billy. Melody and Rosita, would you mind introducing yourselves? Hi, my name is Melody Del Mar, and I'm the Special Projects Coordinator for the New Mexico Indian Affairs Department, and I'm also the interim chair for the Missing or Murdered Indigenous Women and Relatives Task Force. Hello, Yate, Shay, Resida Bilientia, Toy Glini Ishlo, Kelichini Bushishin, Badani Dashanala, Ashini Dashache. I am currently a PSAP supervisor for the Navajo Police Department, but I am temporarily signed by the Navajo Police Chief uh, as a temporary MMIP liaison. So, hello. Thank you both so much for joining us here today. It's a real pleasure to have you on the NCJA podcast, just to kind of set the stage for our conversation here today. So the National Criminal Justice Association works with many state agencies that distribute federal criminal justice funding. And one of the components we focus on is helping states plan how they're going to spend those criminal justice grant funds. And so in order to plan for how those criminal justice grant funds are spent, it's important to determine the state's highest needs as well as the gaps. And that kind of helps guide the priorities for the funding. And so in order to do that, it's crucial to engage both individuals and communities across all faucets of the criminal justice systems. And we recently did a community engagement podcast in which we discussed engaging partners who have been historically left out of funding decisions and processes and or who were engaged previously in a very unproductive way. And so I kind of see this episode as related to our previous episode, but of course, with a lens of tribal engagement and how best to engage tribal communities. And I do also want to recognize at the start of the episode that tribes are obviously not monoliths. They're all different and diverse. And so we can only generalize so much here in our content. And so the main intention of the episode is really to just kind of serve as an entry point um, for listeners who may be very unfamiliar about how to engage tribal partners and who may be very unsure of where to start. Just kind of leading into our discussion here today. So what do you think meaningful engagement with tribal communities looks like or what can it look like? Thank you for uh, putting together this podcast and having this dialogue about engaging with tribal communities. And I I forgot to mention that I'm also a member of the Navajo Nation and I have been working with the task force for a while in engaging with tribal communities. And I think that really glad you said that, you know, tribes are not a monolith and even among within 
you know, larger tribes or smaller tribes, there's even differences between regions and different people who have come from different backgrounds and families. And so an example of that is Trisita actually introduced herself in Navajo and I didn't, but um, that's just the way we understand where we're coming from or where the other person's coming from, where their family's from, what kind of relations they have. And when we do that with uh, non-Native communities, it it also helps them understand the the differences among us that are culturally very significant to keep in mind in working with different tribal communities. My work has primarily been for the past uh, few years uh, working to look at how non-Native people or entities coming into working with uh, tribal communities understand that nuance and also moving forward how to engage with tribal communities who might not be familiar with them. And uh, as the task force lead, I have been with the task force for the past year. And so I do have the experience of working from federal to state to tribal people who want to work with tribes. And so part of that, when you when engaging with tribal communities are going into it with with best practices of knowing that you're not coming into tribal communities to necessarily take over or, you know, tell them what to do. It's more like partnering and even more so it's about, you know, recognizing your role and your status and recognizing that you're coming into a community as a partner or to listen. And I think that's the most important part to understand is the tribe you're working with, learning about their community and engaging with them through the lens of understanding that you're going to have to do a lot of listening and um, letting the tribe take the lead in the conversations that you'll be having. And one way that this happens within, you know, some states and I know federally, and it depends on which entity it is, uh, is that they'll start engaging with tribal leaders or communities through what's called tribal consultation. And tribal consultation is a way, more of a formal way that non-Native people can respectfully start the engagement with with tribal communities. So usually a letter, some sort of communication will go out saying that we're interested in engaging with your community for, you know, possibly for like a grant or a research partnership. And that letter will, you know, engage with tribal leaders. They'll, um, you know, work with possible tribal liaisons with the tribe to, start these processes and conversations going with the tribe. And so New Mexico actually has the uh, what's called the State and Tribal Consultation Act. And it's a law that says that lays out formal specific processes that I guess the state or anybody who, who wants to work with tribes can use to navigate how to start those conversations and what that looks like, you know, within communities and letting tribes know and letting them have as much time as they need to review uh, what that what that entails with a non-tribal entity. So this uh, law is in place to ensure that tribes are actively engaged and that the relationships that are being built are following guidelines that support the community as well. Yeah, and I think it's also important for people to understand, you know, like listening is really important, right? And it's like listening with the intention of actually listening and not like the intention of responding or whatever that phrase is that people always say, like listen to actually hear and not just to kind of think about what you 
next want to say. Did you want to add to that, Rosita? So mutual respect is basically understanding the tribe's functions, their cultural, their beliefs. If you come in and tell the tribe, well, I want this, I want this, and I want that, well, there's ways that you have to get it. You just can't assume that it's all going to happen at once. Like I'm bringing up this whole 911 ordeal that I used to work on, and we have a consultant. She grow. She actually knows the city uh, way of doing dispatching. So when she came on the tribe, she's like, "Wow, you guys basically do everything." And you guys are actually doing one whole shift, like one person is answering the phones, answering fire department, answering um, the police officers, answering EMS, and you guys are answering, you know, the rangers if they get on the air. Compared to the city where you have one dispatcher to sit in for each of these things that one dispatcher is doing. So she has, she never, till this day, has ever disrespect and said, oh, well, maybe you guys need to do this and this. She did the liberty to go into a dispatch center and sit down and look at how they work and how they function. And looking at the needs of what she she gives to whoever is doing the 911 operator um, ordeal or the PSAP center ordeal and saying, hey, I've seen this, maybe this could work. You mentioned that the tribal consultations are the more formal way of approaching a tribe that you might not have interacted with before. This is maybe a dumb question, but how does that compare to the tribal liaison? Like how how do people get in touch with a tribal liaison? Is that someone that they should, you know, have a tribal liaison within their own department or like is that, you know, someone that they reach out to within the tribe to kind of serve as that communication point or how could you speak a little bit to that? Sure. I think it's, you know, one piece that is definitely a best practice for institutions or anyone who has any kind of engagement or working relationship or grants to manage that are specific to American Indian or Alaskan Native tribes. So having a tribal liaison on the part of the non-Native institution is a great way to have a culturally aware person already on the team to navigate what that looks like for tribal communities. Excellent. And so does conversation or communication rather always, or should it always flow through the tribal liaison? What is the best practice there for like ongoing communications? It's a team effort from what I've seen that yes, the tribal liaison may be be involved, but from my experience working as a part of a team on the federal level is that it's usually the whole department working together to you know, work on a document or work on a letter or work on the ongoing processes of how to keep that relationship with the tribe. Some tribes can be very big, like the Navajo Nation is as large as West Virginia, the state. And so there's a lot more capacity there um, on the you know, Navajo Nation side, but possibly as well as you know, tribalese and on the opposite side. Whereas you know, a very small tribe might not have the you know employees or people who they could employ that could even you know be a part of that, and so it, it varies from community to community. 
just want to reiterate that, you know, as we go along in our conversation, it varies, it varies. Um, yeah, we don't want to generalize too much, as I said at the start. So you spoke a little bit about the New Mexico State Tribal Collaboration Act, I think you called it. How did the act come to pass and how recent is it? And like what all is encompassed within the act? I know you mentioned it has like very specific guidelines that it outlines about like how to approach tribes and how to go through the consultation processes. Is there anything else kind of included within the Collaboration Act? Do you know of any other states that have something similar to that? So the state tribal consultation, well, there's a couple more C's in there. Consultation, collaboration, and communication policies outline how the different state agencies can work through our department, which is the Department of Indian Affairs, just because they've um, had the problem. And this is also a problem, has been a problem on the federal level, is that departments, you know, will just go into Native communities and just start working right away and not understand um, what that looks like for tribal communities or how to even engage with them in a very respectful way. So that's some background into why uh, tribal consultation came about. So in New Mexico in 2003, the governor established the 2003 Statement of Policy and Process to ensure relationships with the cooperation and coordination and communication to work with tribes in good faith and goodwill to fairly resolve any kind of issues that um, happen there. So in 2005, Governor Bill Richardson uh, issued the executive order mandating that the state executive state agencies adopt the tribal consultation plans. And so that led to the passing of the State Collaboration Act in 2009. And so since then, different groups from all the different agencies got had got together and looked at ways that how they can promote more positive government to government relationships through the uh, through that legislation. Melody, do you know if any other states have a similar type of legislation, you know, saying like, this is how best to like kind of approach a a tribe? Like, do you know kind of off the top of your head if that exists anywhere else or is that unique to New Mexico? No, as far as I know, it's unique to New Mexico. And there are a lot of things that are unique to New Mexico just because New Mexico has the largest amount of Native American federally recognized tribal members represented from the, call them the tribes, pueblos, and nations. And so that's something that's very unique to our state. So, and so since we have the highest population, it makes sense for the state to enact their own laws regarding the tribal consultation. Could you maybe speak to some like major do's and don'ts in terms of like initial contact or really just like ongoing like communication between state agencies and tribes? Yeah, of course. I have a background and experience of doing research and policy work. And so I know from that perspective, from a public health standpoint, that there's two things. There's a best practice with working with tribal communities through a research lens, which I think can be definitely applied to tribal consultation. And so one area to focus on when working with tribes in, in order to avoid mistakes is the understanding that if you're going to work with tribes, you need to understand that you're probably going to be there for a while. And that's reflected in 
a type of research process called community-based participatory research. And that type of research has been found to be very effective and meaningful in tribal communities. And the key principles of that research is that you're going into the community understanding that you're gonna be working with them for a while. You're not just coming in and you know leaving and never talking to them again. Tribes expect and ask that any non-tribal entities, especially with research, to continue that work, to continue those relationships and ensuring that there's no tribes being, you know, taken advantage of or, you know, they're never going to hear from them again. They just came in to extract whatever they needed or insert themselves in spaces where it wasn't as respectful. So I think that's one piece to avoid any kind of new policies that are created because of the way, you know, a, a non-tribal entity worked with tribes. Another piece to that is with the CBPR that I mentioned is, you know, understanding your role and your privilege, especially if you're not Native, coming into Native communities and how, you know, it's just a lot of, I, I would think it's very basic looking at yourself and, you know, privilege or any any kind of, you know, way you're wanting to participate with tribal communities and knowing that you're going to have to let them take the lead, the tribal community, reading the room and knowing that I need to, you know, see my place here and really self-evaluate with working with tribes and, you know, simply understanding some tribes have different protocols or ways of respect. I know for myself and I see it with other natives that if I ask another tribal member community for something or if I want to work with them, I, I learn about their customs. Like if I ask them for some knowledge, then I better expect to, you know, call it like gifting them like a cultural item. And so, knowing these uh, small pieces can go a long way when building relationships. Yeah, I think that's a great point. You got to do your research and not just like show up and barrel your way through these conversations because I think showing that you've done the work is important and that you've done it intentionally and you've done it through the right veins, you know, like through the consultation. Like, And also like what you said about like feedback, it's important to always make sure that like when you approach anyone, right? Like you want to make sure they know, like, what are you doing with what they're telling you? And how are you going to establish that feedback loop? Did you want to add to that, Rosita? Have that respect when you're dealing with tribes. Communicate. Don't overdo it. Don't send a message and then send a message an hour later, then send a message three hours later. Just understand the functions of the tribe. And it doesn't hurt to ask the tribe how does is the how is your process how get to know that don't be pushy i guess a lot of people do do that and if you're going to be a contractor complete what you are there to finish don't leave that tribe hanging because it will it will definitely bring really bad remarks and these tribes do talk they do ask each other so you know, grants in a way are, are contracts too, right? So like if you're like a grant making agency, like those same principles apply, right? Like you don't want to go in and say, oh, we're going to help you with X, Y, and Z things and not follow up on it or not come through. And I know that grant writers, I know the grant writers has requests for statistics. 
be mindful about the technology that they use as far as getting these stats to um, what kind of stats are you asking for? Be specific because a lot of them can be like, okay, well, I need a DUI, all the DUI cases. I need all the homicide cases. I need all these types of cases. What they're going to do is pull you up all that, but it's not going to be to the range that you want it at. Be specific on the dates. Um, okay, well, all these female um, DUI drivers within two months time frame. Know your the laws of what can comply to that. And if you don't understand it, don't suggest that, okay, well, this is how the federal, or this is what New Mexico state law is. You remember you're on, you're on sovereign community, you're on sovereign nation, so you're gonna have to ask. Um, a lot of these tribes have their own laws. So, you know, make sure you ask the tribe, like, hey, is this something that we can do? Or if not, then I totally understand. Don't make your own laws when you're there because it's going gonna, it's gonna to backfire and they're not going to like it either. Are there any kind of challenges that come to mind when it comes? Like we kind of talked about it a little bit, but any additional challenges that come to mind when it comes to engaging with tribal communities? And that can be either from the perspective of the tribal communities. Any challenges seen in interacting with state um, agencies or federal agencies or, you know, from the perspective of like government agencies? Any other challenges we haven't touched on? Yes, I think every bit of what you said, there's challenges to each piece. And I think this is another due to understand is that tribes are sovereign nations. And so when we talk about government to government relations, we're not just talking about this tribe with a reservation, we're talking about nation to nation. And so with that, when working with tribes and establishing long-term relationships, when engaging with tribal communities, understand that, you know, the tribal community is changing and shaping itself at the same time too. So there can be, you know, tribal council and governments and leaders who might shift out, out of their roles due to, you know, their own elections and their time limits with serving their tribal communities. So I think having that understanding when you come in and a year later, the person you work with is different. And so, especially for long-term relationships, knowing that that could possibly happen. Kind of going back to the tribal consultations aspect and the nation to nation premise, because I used to work in a state administering agency office for the state of Oklahoma, and I was managing, you know, various grants. So, you know, let's say, I wanted to engage various tribal communities. Like, should I really be the one to do that? Or like, should the head of the agency be the one that takes those steps to create an action plan for how to get a tribal consultation? Their best practices for who should really be, you know, representing the state agency. I think it really depends. Uh, I, I think a good way to approach that is that, for example, what you said with you, you, you being a grants manager, possibly having a team who works with the tribes, having more than a few people to approach working with a tribe just to have that, you know, knowledge there, but also the person, you know, as a grants manager, you would know the ins and outs of working with the grant and the tribe is asking. So I think I would see that as a lead person. And I've also seen other agencies who hire tribal consultation people just for, as a contractor, just for that piece. So not only the work continues, but you have someone kind of outside the entity to navigate that relationship. 
And so from what I've seen, I think that's a great way to engage with tribal communities as well when working with, you know, the team who's trying to build that relationship with the tribe. We've talked a little bit about trust building or kind of walking into a room knowing, you know, the trust isn't just going to necessarily organically be there. Are there any ways to build trust, um, like specifically knowing that many, if not all, these tribal communities have been excluded from these funding and budgeting conversations, decisions, even like setting priorities for how the state allocates grant funds. Like, are there any ways to build trust with all of that in mind? Making sure that you are culturally aware of their community and possibly having a training or having that tribe lead in that conversation. And another great way I've seen other entities build trust is to have trainings for the tribe, especially if they're new to any kind of grants process. And, you know, some might not even have a grants manager or know how to approach that. So building that equity uh, within a tribe who doesn't have a lot of capacity is a great way to start that working relationship and building that trust along the way. And another huge thing that I've seen is communication. And I know we're all busy. (laughs) And I think that when I've seen tribes not be as trusting with other outside entities is when they don't really hear back from the people they're working with, or maybe someone might fall off or employment might change with that person. You know, who knows what would happen. But I think that simply letting tribes know, uh, you know, I'm here, you know, I haven't heard from you in a long time, just letting you know I'm working on this, or you have these dates coming up, you know, whatever is happening with the nature of the grant. Yeah, and then like, if, you know, you're working on a state agency, and someone does leave, who was kind of like, the lead person on, you know, engaging with a particular tribe, finding a new person that can be that tribe's contact, I feel like, like, just making sure there's a continuity of communication, and it doesn't stop at any one point. I think is important. So you mentioned capacity and like the trainings. Are there, like from your perspective, are there any specific capacity building needs that need to happen in terms of like tribes applying for federal or state grants? And I know it obviously varies drastically. And you mentioned, you know, like size of the tribes, for example, but are there any like kind of barriers across the board um, the tribes struggle with when it comes to federal and state funding? And is there anything like that can be done to help build capacity? Right. There are a few things with that. One of it's cultural. One of it is communication, like we talked about. And I think one thing I've seen is that smaller tribes who might not have that capacity don't even have, might not even have a, a way to even start the process, know how to navigate it. And so I've seen or people within uh, that organization can help with technical assistance with the relationship. And also I wanted to say that culturally, another thing to think about that tribes may encounter with, you know, grant deadlines or what that might look like is that tribes will have, can have their own different times of the year where they'll have elections or cultural events happening. I know here in New Mexico that Pueblos have what's called feast days. And so a lot of their events will be around the different seasons and it could be like a week long or weekend long event, but usually you can't really, you know, out of respect for them and their cultural days, you know, you can't really push them to have meetings during that time or, you know, around a deadline. So there's cultural aspects to that as well. 
That's a wonderful point. And just like about being cognizant. And then again, it kind of goes back to the building the trust and doing your research kind of thing as well. Is there anything like technical assistance wise that you think would be helpful? Because I know a lot of our listeners are grant managers or at least oversee grant funds in some way, shape or form. And so, you know, a lot of them also do training and technical assistance. What types of needs do you think would be greatest? Uh, I think from what I've seen, it's having that educational piece when working with tribes. And so I think one way that I've seen, I have worked with a technical assistance center before, and we were kind of the middle person. And when we work with tribes, we are a Communication was a big thing with them, but also offering special trainings or being available in that in that way to tribes with when they're trying to work with different possibly difficult pieces. And uh, yeah, I think that's just the main thing from what I've seen. I don't know if you have anything, Rosita, with that. I'm not sure about that, but I know that APD has a has a program to where they work with Native Americans as far as tribes. And every month they have meetings and they help these tribes out with like trainings, like with drones or SWAT training or just kind of being like that big brother ordeal to where, hey, if you need our help, just let us know. We we won't mind. And one of the things that, like I said, this is where the mutual respect comes in, but we also provide them resources pertaining to the Navajo Nation, uh, communication with other tribes. Right now, I do see that some tribes are really hesitant to communicate with other law enforcement. So you mentioned that some tribes are kind of hesitant to kind of work with or collaborate with law enforcement. Why do you think that is? And is there any way to kind of improve the reason that those relationships are a bit hesitant? Or that barrier needs to be broken. I know probably from previous history, they had issues or there was something that happened in the line or in a sense that the tribe doesn't believe that they need help without their, with, 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 no, within their nation. They think they're fine. But in reality, are they? Because with our whole missing person ordeal, we have resources that can go as far as taking DNA, providing them with family members for our people that are missing. Family members are starting to do that now because there's just so much overwhelming of unidentified bodies and families are starting to reach out and saying, hey, how can we get a DNA taken care of? How can we, how can we get this done? I would, from my point of view, is helping more of our people is to get out our resources. Not all of our Native Navajos live on the nation. They live in the outer cities. I've been helping some of these family members that have cases are in Las Vegas, Nevada, or California, or Texas. And we have to rely on those outer sources to help them and to, you know, make sure that they're getting the help that they need. And we have like all different kind of Native Americans that are scattered over the entire nation. And, you know, they come to their tribes for help. So how are we going to help our Navajo people, regardless if they're on the reservation or not? 
Well, thank you both so much. Um, this has been very educational, insightful, and we very much um, appreciate having you both here on the NCJA podcast. Thank you for your time um, and for your thoughts.